Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the part of the Freightcast family of podcasts here of Freight Waves, where we drill deep into the world of oil, because that's my specialty, and oil has to be drilled to be produced. And we also drill deep into the world of diesel, because without diesel, the trucks are not going very far. And we also drill deep into an issue of the day. Today, it's going to be that crazy first quarter of the year whose earnings and the whole progress of it left executives and analysts reeling. They started the year thinking they would maybe begin the road to recovery after a week 2019 in the freight market. And instead, they were dealing with something by the end of the quarter that they never, ever could have envisioned. We're going to be talking to Todd Fowler of KeyBank about that in a few minutes. But first, we're going to talk about diesel. You know how, as a consumer of that fuel, it drives you crazy when you hear about the price of oil falling, you look at the price of the pump, it isn't falling, and you wonder just what the heck are they talking about? You don't see any movement, and you wonder what is going on. You feel kind of screwed. And you also figure that, yeah, this is never going to happen the other way. When the price of oil starts going up, I'm going to get hit with that as a driver right away. I'm here to tell you that the price of oil is going up, and you are not seeing any of that at the diesel pump. So stop complaining. But actually, more seriously, here's what's been going on in diesel. When the pandemic hit, gasoline demand collapsed around the world in a way that really had never been seen before. And refineries were left with a choice. They could shut down completely. That's kind of problematic. It's not that easy to bring back a completely shut refinery. They could cut back some of their operations, which they did. And on top of that, they could make more diesel and make less gasoline. That's not as easy to do as just throwing a a switch, but it can be done with various tweaking and turning and twisting of some of your operations. So as a result of that tweaking and twisting, the percent of, of diesel that came out of refineries soared to unbelievable numbers, percentages above 40%. The market has never, ever seen that before. But the problem is that while diesel demand did not fall as much as gasoline, it did fall. And that has resulted in diesel inventories measured by day's supply in the U.S. rising to levels you usually only see as the winter starts. And even that's only a couple of times in history that that's happened above 50 days. Um, And the reason that you get this surge in in diesel inventories are actually distillate inventories, and distillate inventories include diesel and heating oil. So a couple of times in the past, you've gotten really big builds in distillate inventories. But again, in the winter, as the winter starts, not now as we're about to go into summer. So with the country, though, now starting to open up, it means that gasoline demand is starting to climb. With oil production being cut back, it means that the death spiral of crude prices has stabilized. You know that death spiral, that's the one that took it down to below zero for a crazy day a few weeks ago. Prices actually now are a little more steady. You throw in those diesel inventories that I mentioned, and what you've got now are diesel prices that are basically stuck in neutral while crude and gasoline prices are rising. I'll give you one example. The CME, the old commodity, uh, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, is the primary commodity exchange where crude, diesel, and gasoline are traded. On March 23rd, diesel was about 64 cents higher than gasoline. And on the commodity exchange, it's now about 8 cents below that. That's a swing of 72 cents. It's just incredible. I didn't do the work about whether that's unprecedented, but I'm going to guess that it probably is. Of course, these are unprecedented times. So, and the number that is really lagging the market the most or the broader oil market is the retail price of diesel. On our Sonar Market Dashboard product, we track the price of wholesale diesel. Since the end of April, it's up almost 20 cents a gallon. 
We also tracked the retail price of diesel. And since the end of April, that is down about nine cents a gallon. All of that comes out in this great little data series that we call fuels. And that shows the spread between retail and wholesale diesel. And uh, after being at record levels at the end of April, it's down about 29 cents. That's about what you would have figured if one's up 20 and the other's down nine, you put those two together. And finally, the weekly DOE retail diesel price that's used as the basis for fuel surcharges, that's down 18 weeks in a row. That's a record at $2.394 of a cent. That's down about 70 cents from the first week of the year. When the diesel market is falling rapidly, that's really good for drivers and carriers, not just because they have cheaper fuel prices, but because they are buying at a declining price that's falling faster than the DOE price that is used in fuel surcharges, or it's falling faster than the implied fuel price that an independent owner-operator would have calculated when bidding for a load. So there's a temporary windfall. The problem, of course, is that on the way up, it's very painful for 180 degrees of the reasons that I just laid out why it's good on the way down. But what's going on in the market now is that you've had weeks of declines in retail diesel out ahead of the fall in price of the DOE price, and it isn't being followed by any kind of upturn. There's just too much diesel in inventory to allow that to happen. And it's not like we're going to get a crude-driven spike anytime soon. There's just too much of crude in inventory as well to keep that market from breaking out. So, you know, there are some scenarios out there in which cutbacks in output in crude output resulting from tightened supplies will tighten supplies by the end of the year. But that's conjecture. It's a ways off. Right now, there's still a massive amount of crude in the tank. So really, we're at the diesel sweet spot for buyers. So just enjoy it. We're going to turn our attention now to the completion of the first quarter of this year's earnings season. Everybody is pretty much in with their numbers. And, you know, what I thought fascinating listening to the earnings call uh, with analysts is that for a mere three-month period, it was like a tale of two cities. You had the first two months, everything's great, everything's terrific, things are looking for a really nice 2020. And then you had March. And for some companies, they were able to benefit from the first wave of craziness of restocking shelves. But even those companies reported that by coming into April, almost all the arrows are pointing down. So our guest today to talk about earnings season is somebody we've had with us before on Drilling Deep, Todd Fowler of KeyBank out there in Cleveland. Uh, and Todd is a regular participant on the earnings calls of all the major transportation companies. Todd, I've got to think that uh, as an analyst, uh, trying to figure out whether the first quarter was good or bad or whatever it must have been really difficult because it was total schizophrenia. <laughs> hey, John. Uh, it's great to be here today, and thanks again for having me. You know, one of the things that's always tricky about earnings season is you're, you're drinking from the fire hose. There's a lot of information coming out in a short period of time. Uh, but, you know, as far as looking at the first quarter itself, you know, the market's always a forward-looking uh, indicator uh, so sometimes current quarter results are a, a bit in the rearview mirror. And I'll tell you, you know, this quarter, probably more than any time in, in my career, people probably put less emphasis on, on what happened in the most recent quarter and really were focused on, you know, commentary and what was happening going forward. And and like you said, I mean, I'll even, you know, fine tune your comment a little bit. I think the first two and a half months of the first quarter were kind of normal for a lot of people. It was really the last, you know, two weeks or so where we saw, you know, a really big shift um, and, and as you pointed out on a lot of the conference calls, a lot of the commentary was really 
what happened in the end of March and what people were seeing in April. And that was really the focus for, um, you know, the focus for the first quarter was really uh, what had happened at the end and what was going, what was happening into the early part of 2Q. Yeah, when they opened up the line for questions, it seemed like almost every call I was on, the first question was, what are you seeing in April? And uh, the, the one company that I thought that I listened to that had a pretty decent April was U.S. Express, but they felt that that's really a mixed question. They weren't as exposed to some of the areas that had a downturn. But boy, the number 20% downturn for a lot of other companies, I heard that frequently. Yeah, you know, and I think what you capture with U.S. Express is, um, you know, there was, you know, a bit of relative difference between some of the names. Um, So, for example, if you take some of the truckload carriers um, that have, you know, some more exposure to some of the consumer products, consumer staples, uh, even some of the DIY retailers or the dollar store retailers, you know, that's where we saw a lot of the strength in March is there was the pantry stocking. Some of that persisted as we got into April, particularly the dedicated fleets for some of the larger national accounts seemed to do well. Um, so again, on a relative basis, there was a little bit of strength there. Um, but on the other side of that coin would have been, you know, some of the less than truckload names that have more exposure into the industrial manufacturing economies. Um, and that's where we were hearing some volumes, you know, late in March and then particularly into April, you know, that were trending in that that down 20, 25 percent type range, which is a very significant step down. You know, even going back to the Great Recession, it was unusual to see volume declines like that in a very short period of time. Um the word that one of the words that came up over and over again, lots of discussion, management uh, introduced the discussion and plenty of analysts followed up was liquidity. Companies talked about how liquid they were, what their cash stockpile was, uh, what sort of access they had to maybe revolving credit lines that they already had, maybe new lines of credit. Uh, did you come out of that feeling that most of the publicly traded companies uh, have a pretty decent level of liquidity to keep going forward? You know, as far as what we're seeing from a um, liquidity standpoint, you know, a lot of these companies have been through the cycles before, and this might be a deeper cycle than what we've seen in the past. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the good thing is that you know, to be a successful you know trucking company, you live through you know the the good times, you've lived through the bad times, and, and this time more than any, you know, we saw very quick reactions from a lot of companies in shoring up their balance sheets very early, doing things like you know drawing on their credit facilities just to make sure that they had that cushion. We saw a lot of that in late March. So there's ample liquidity from that standpoint. Um, and then the other big thing that we saw was very significant changes to CapEx plans for the year. You know, we're looking at CapEx this year that might be down, you know, 30 or 40 percent. You know, people really paring back on their their capital spending, which helps you, know, again, generate more free cash going forward. So, you know, companies were very proactive, you know, from a liquidity standpoint to doing what they could to reduce variable costs, shore up the balance sheet. Um, and so even for some companies that we had, you know, maybe a little bit more concern from a leverage standpoint going into the quarter, um, you know, they, they, with their ability to kind of flex, particularly on the CapEx side, uh, I think we're in a position where most, most companies are going to be in pretty good shape uh, to weather the storm here, assuming that, you know, this isn't, you know, prolonged. You know, if this we continue to see this, you know, checkmark type recovery moving off of the bottom, I think that's what most people are, are expecting Obviously, if we're living through several years of these depressed volumes, that's a different outcome. 
I don't know. I've ever heard checkmark. You know, I've heard W recovery, L recovery, V recovery. I heard yesterday about a Nike swoosh recovery. <laughs> checkmark is a new one on me, but I can, but I can envision it. So, um, you know, it's interesting you're talking about them, the liquidity and how a lot of companies went right to their revolvers, uh, not, not the gun type, the, uh, the credit lines, the revolving credit line, and pulled them all down at once. And my guess is as, as an analyst, if you see a company doing that, you probably normally get very nervous, but this was standard operating procedure. Yeah, you know, well, and one thing to keep in mind with the check mark are two things maybe. The first is it's a term that uh, I'm going to give credit to Schneider National. They coined that, so we're borrowing from that. But, you know, the okay. check mark, it also depends on how your teacher made your check marks in school. You know, some are a little bit sharper and some are a little bit different. So there's there's some variability even in the check mark comment. But, you know, on the revolver piece, I mean, you're 100% right. Uh, you know, and kind of a, you know, I've done this for 15 years and, you know, a company going to their, their credit facility definitely signals that, that they're concerned about what's going to happen in the future. Um, but as we started to see this happening in March, you know, it, it was almost par for the course and the companies that were doing it, you know, really seemed um, to be getting credit for doing it. So this wasn't a one-off where we had one company that was doing it and you thought, oh my goodness, you know, what do they know or what are they seeing that nobody else is seeing? It was kind of the prudent response to the environment that that, that we were in and really talking through with a lot of the companies, you know, what they were saying is that they were preparing for the worst, but maybe they weren't even seeing that at this point. I mean, so it really was, um, you know, a proactive measure um, to really kind of get out in front of that. Um, and it was not, it wasn't something that was just happening in the transportation space. It was kind of across uh, the financial markets. And so I think from that standpoint, you know, the investment community understood what was happening, realized it was a very prudent response. And, you know, the reaction wasn't as negative as what it would have been in kind of a normal course of business um, drawdown on a, on, a, on a revolving line. So you looked at the results from many, many companies. Uh, what companies did particularly well, better than you might have expected? And was there anybody or, every, or several anybody's who might have come in worse? Well, you know, what I would say is where we saw some of the, the best strength, like I mentioned earlier, was in the full truckload space. Um, you know, we kind of knew to a certain extent at the end of the first quarter that the truckload carriers were benefiting from some of the tightness that we saw in the market during March. You know, we saw a really sharp increase in spot rates uh, kind of mid-March uh, as we saw, you know, the consumers head to the stores, um, purchase a lot of goods and bring them into their homes in a short period of time. And, and we knew the truckload was going to see some benefit of that. So, so that was something we were anticipating when we saw the actual results uh, particularly for some names that have dedicated fleet exposure. You know, I'd put Warner on that list. Um, the results there um, were, were stronger than we were anticipating. Martin on the temperature controlled side also did very well in this environment. But, you know, John, really to answer your question where we were maybe positively surprised, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about the less than truckload space the fact that they've got more manufacturing and industrial exposure, you know, we were hearing indications with the non-essential business closures um, that we were going to see a, a drop off in, in volumes and shipment trends in late March and into early April, which we definitely saw. I, I would say the big surprise, you know, really for me in the quarter in general um, was how the less than truckload carriers reacted on the cost side related to the drop-off in volumes that we were seeing. So, you know, we saw several carriers furlough workers, you know, very quickly. You know, they didn't wait until they really saw the whites of the eyes. Um, we saw those actions, you know, late in March and early April. And, and while, you know, it's obviously something that's very difficult from the employee standpoint, 
you know, number one, the furloughs are maintaining the benefits, um, you know, but it's a reduction, obviously, in the, the, the salary portion of the expense. But what it's helping the LTL carriers to do is to match their, their headcount with where their shipment levels are running. Um, and that's something that we saw quicker and sooner this cycle than what we've seen in the past. And so while the volume drop-off was consistent with what we were expecting, the response on the cost side was much better than what we were anticipating. Yeah, you can keep them on and do the benevolent thing. But the fact is, in a lot of these cases, there's just no work for them. Yeah, that's 100% right. You know, and really the anticipation here, though, is, you know, a lot of companies don't want to be short-sighted. And so, you know, when we go back to 08 and 09, you know, a handful of LTL carriers really kind of, you know, financed the downturn on the backs of their employees, you know, through cutting wages or cutting, you know, personnel. I think this is a situation where, you know, what the management teams are really trying to do is be in position for when the economy reopens. And some of the commentary that we heard was, you know, April really seems like it's going to be the the nadir. It's going to be the low water mark, and we're starting to see this gradual recovery. I think next week is really going to be a litmus test when we see you know the automotive plants uh, uh, start to resume you know some production. We're starting to see some gradual reopening of non-essential businesses, um, and so I think it was really again you know it was you know something that there's obviously a human element and a personal impact to seeing that happen, um, but I think it was the the right response trying to keep workers on, give them the benefits. And then when the business comes back, you know, the expectation would be to bring them off of furlough um, and, to, and to have that, that labor associated with where the tonnage levels are. So let's look toward the end of the year, not necessarily on, the, um, on how the companies will do it, or that's one factor, but also let's talk about what capacity is going to be like. In your most recent report where you, you, uh, KeyBank puts out a, an index on, um, on how things are, uh, and in it you said uh, regarding supply, we continue to see indications of an acceleration in the ongoing capacity correction with our recent due diligence projecting equipment spending at public trucking companies will now be down 35 to 45%. You made reference earlier to that cut in CapEx. Uh, that will mean a lot fewer new trucks being built, and certainly the numbers coming out of companies like FTR and ACT Research indicate that as well. Are we coming to a capacity squeeze by the end of the year? Well, what I will tell you is, you know, we're, we're definitely not putting incremental capacity into the market. And so our, our comment about, you know, the ongoing capacity crunch, you know, I think as you know, most of the people you know, on the podcast are very well aware, you know, this is something where, you know, we saw freight fundamentals peak in, in mid-2018. Um, so we've been working through, you know, the, the kind of deceleration in the freight market for almost two years at this point. And so these are comments, you know, really pre-coronavirus. And Coming into 2019, you know, we had seen, you know, uh, expectation for reduced capex. We'd seen a lot of carriers kind of slow their fleet growth to adjust to the market that we saw in 2019, where we saw a significant decrease in spot rates, where we saw pressure in the, in the contract market. So, you know, this this ongoing capacity correction has been in place for almost two years. And, and what we're really seeing now with this adjustment here in the first quarter on capex budgets um, with the reduction in volumes, and, and you know, to be really qu- quite frank, I mean, probably some additional attrition in the marketplace as some of the smaller carriers either park capacity or struggle with you know the significant de- decrease that we're seeing in both volume and spot rates now into the second quarter. You know, we really will see you know this acceleration in capacity leaving the market. So, you know, when we look at the capex dollars, when we look at the truck orders, you know, that are coming out, four thousand trucks being ordered, you know, during April. Um, you know, we know that there's not going to be incremental capacity coming into the market. You know, as far as looking out to the back half of the year, you know, we're doing our best to figure out, you know, what the rest of May is going to look like. Um, 
And so some of this gets back to the commentary about the, the pace or the rate of the recovery. Um, but we do know that, you know, inventory levels have been drawn down. We haven't you know, brought a lot of goods into the country, given the, the slowdowns, you know, particularly out of the, the, the Chinese ports. Um, so we're in a situation where we've got relatively lean inventories. We probably have you know, taken some capacity out of the market. So if we do see a situation where, you know, we see an uptick in demand and, and maybe not even back to kind of pre-COVID levels, but to, you know, something within 80 or 90 percent of that, you know, our expectation would be that capacity would tighten, um, you know, how meaningful, you know, it could be pretty meaningful um, if the small carriers really kind of struggle and we see more capacity come out. Um, but we've got the expectation that it could be tighter sooner, uh, given the reduction that we're seeing just in, in CapEx and capacity plans right now. Yeah, and of course, there you know, eighty-eight thousand jobs in the sector were lost in April. Those not, are not all drivers. Um, the BLS doesn't come out with a kind of job-specific list in, for a month later, so it'll be very interesting to see how the, what those jobs were in April. Um, let me ask you uh, about efficiency and uh, whether. When you look over the data, when you talk to management, of course, because after a lot of these earnings calls, people like yourself have one-on-one calls with management. Are these companies, are the, like the big truckload carriers and LTL companies, are they able to operate more efficiently because there's so such a drop in traffic on the road? And I know that diesel is, is they try to just be a pass-through, but that can't be done perfectly. Are they getting a benefit from lower diesel? Are these like kind of little things on the side that help the bottom line? Yeah, look, there's there's no doubt about it, and, and we've heard that you know anecdotally, you know, if you're driving through you know Atlanta right now, driving through Chicago right now, it's it's the easiest it's ever been. I mean, so you are picking up you know some some improved efficiencies and some improved utilization, just given the fact that you don't have as much passenger traffic on the roads, um, and and hopefully from a driver standpoint, you know, from a you know that's helping reduce. I mean, some of the congestion and things that they deal with on a day to day basis. Um, so there has been some pickup there. You know, we've also heard, though, that there's a little bit of a trade-off where, you know, now getting into a distribution center, there might be some additional time for loading and unloading, um, you know, some safety checks, you know, when you're going through the gates and those sorts of things, waiting a little bit longer, you know, given some of the social distancing protocol that's in place. Um, but what we have heard, I think, net-net is the reduced passenger traffic is certainly helping efficiencies in utilization um, and is one of kind of those unintended or small silver linings of the environment that we're in. You know, on the fuel costs, um, you know, look, you've got it exactly right. I mean, I, you know, most carriers are, are not really looking at fuel as a way to make money. The, the fuel surcharges are a natural hedge, and, and they usually work um, pretty effectively as far as, you know, creating, you know, a pass-through from fuel and recapturing the cost that they have. But when we do see an environment where fuel declines rapidly, like we saw at the end of the first quarter and into the second quarter, you know, some carriers might be a little bit ahead on, on what they're seeing on the fuel surcharge. Um, typically, that corrects over time and that starts to level out. We're probably in the period where we're going to see that, particularly if we see diesel prices move up um, off of the April lows and kind of through the rest of the second quarter. But those were some things that did help. Um, but again, I think when you put it all together and you think about, you know, the network disruption that happened and, you know, maybe strength with certain accounts that were seeing, you know, fourth quarter or holiday type, you know, volumes in the first quarter and other accounts that were completely shut down. You know, I think that the net impact of this environment was uh, one management team explained to us, you know, is basically calling an audible, you know, at the at the play, you know, at the play line, you know, every single day. Um, so I think that where there have been some benefits, you know, really trying to navigate through this very inconsistent and very choppy environment, um, you know, if, if nothing else is kind of help offset some of the inconsistencies that we're seeing in freight patterns right now. 
And last question, the stock prices of the trucking companies, how have they been in terms of being a leading indicator, lagging indicator? I know traditionally they tend to be, uh, I don't know about a leading indicator of the entire equity market, but certainly they start going up you know, when, when everybody's looking at the rates and saying, what? What is, the, what is the justification for these kind of increases in stock prices when rates are so low? Is, it, is that what you're seeing now? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, I would say in general, uh, transportation stocks have been relatively resilient. Um, you know, so in particular, you know, we've got a lot of names that are at their, you know, uh, kind of pre-coronavirus um, levels. You know, we kind of use, you know, mid-February as a marker for when we really started to see the impacts in the broader equity markets for concerns around uh, coronavirus and, and COVID-19 at that point. Um, you know, we run, uh, we've got a, a market cap weighted index uh, for the truckload names that's essentially flat um, since mid-February and the S&P is kind of down in the, the low double digit type range, which is pretty significant outperformance. And I think that there's a couple of drivers for that. I think, number one, people realized relatively early on that these were essential businesses. Um, and so where we were going to change how we were consuming product, you, know, you still needed trucks to bring it to a distribution center. You know, so we joked around a little bit that there was almost a little bit of a, you know, Netflix, Peloton and, you know, night <laughs> Transportation type trade that was going on where people were, you know, staying at home and, and, you know, exercising at home and watching Netflix, but you needed a truck to bring you certain stuff. And so, you know, the transportation names did benefit from that. And then the second piece, and you captured this exactly right, is that the transports are typically seen as a leading indicator, particularly for the industrial related stocks. And so when you are going to see if it's a normal, you know, recessionary environment or if it's, you know, the environment that we're in right now with the pandemic, once freight activity or once economic activity is going to resume, you know, the, the, the truckers are the first ones to feel it, right? I mean, if you're going to start up a production line, you've got to move some of that inventory in advance of doing that. Um, so again, for, for as doom and gloom as some of the April commentary was, and you heard this on some of the calls, you know, early April was the worst thing stabilized at the end of April, even some signs of light in late April, we're seeing things start to improve in May, you know, we're seeing spot rates move up off of the bottom. And, and so, from a forward-looking standpoint to kind of bring our conversation full circle, you know, people are looking forward to, uh, as you aptly pointed out, you know, the next six months or even looking out into 2020 um, and saying, hey, is 2020, excuse me, 2021, is 2020 kind of a lost year? Do we get back on track next year? And that's really what these stocks are starting to discount. So it's a combination that, you know, these are essential businesses you know, maybe the worst is behind us. And, you know, if we can kind of get back to some level of a, a new normal type activity, um, you know, these are going to be businesses that, that should benefit from that. Todd Fowler of KeyBank, always a great guest here on Drilling Deep. Thanks for coming in and sharing your views. And I'm sure there'll be another quarter in the future that will will maybe we'll have you back after the fourth quarter and you'll be talking about, boy, they did great. And aren't those rates soaring because of that tight capacity, right? <laughs> No. Yeah, John, you know, it's, it seems like an attorney, but there's always another corner right around, uh, right around, there's always another quarter right around the corner, easy for me to say, and would be That's happy right. to do it. Great to talk to you. Okay, so uh, you've been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the FreightWaves family of Freightcasts, of podcasts, available on all the leading platforms. We hope you join us again. We hope you subscribe. That's always good, so you make sure you don't miss anything. I'm John Kingston. Join us again. <laughs>